Hey, Carl Franklin here. If you're going to be around Oslo, Norway, the 17th through the 21st of June, why don't you come stop in and see us at NDC? Richard and I will be there recording podcasts, so stop in and say hi, but come for the speakers. Brock Allen, Donovan Brown, Joe Albahari, Julie Lerman, Steve Sanderson, Jen Stirrup, Troy Hunt. Obviously, there's a whole lot more. This is one of our favorite conferences in Europe. Come check us out. Go to ndcoslo.com. Oh, and I also got to mention Dev Intersection that we're going to be at in Orlando, June 11th through 13th, the week before NDC. Go to devintersection.com to register now and tell them you heard about us on .NET Rocks. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, Dylan Beatty is here. He's going to talk about his new language, Rockstar, which uh, I'm not even going to tell you what it's all about right now because that would be crazy. We have a little thing to do first, but, but first I want to hear what's up with you, man. What do you need? I you, did my one of my favorite days of the year just a few weeks ago where I did the middle school STEM day. Oh, awesome. So... About uh, 300 kids in three groups, ages 12 to 14, and we get them to vote on different subject areas, which if you look at the list is all very much geek outs. Yeah. And uh, and then I'm able to do for each group four topics, three that the students picked and one that their teacher picked. Wow. Uh, so about 15 minutes each on each one. Then the only topic selected by all three groups, artificial intelligence. Wow. But they were also very interested in augmented reality. Right. Uh, they were very interested in um, genetic engineering. Wow. Interested in working in space. Excellent. So it, it was a nice diversity of topics. We also had infectious diseases got selected, uh, mostly by the teachers. So we got to dig into that as well. And uh, they're getting better at using the whole automation part of this. So they had a voting system. Then mm -hmm. we selected other topics. And then they were surveyed afterwards. So I got back some comments and things. I think my personal favorite comment was the 13-year-old who said, I'm really appreciative that Mr. Campbell didn't dumb it down too much for us. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Anyway, you know, there's, it's one of those days where, especially when you read all the feedback, you get a little misty and you're just reminded, hey, you know, we can do some good things once in a while. Yeah. I feel like I may have got them at least thinking about things. Yeah. You know, when, when my last shake of the bag was in, uh, in middle school, I did that and had an yeah. absolute ball. It is a lot of fun. And, you know, and, and for an experienced speaker like we are, this is actually a very tough gig. Yeah, you know, There's is. a big difference between being at a conference where people paid several thousand dollars to listen to you right. versus a pack of tweens. It was like, it's this or, or we skip a block. And uh, if you can actually light them up like you've done something, it's like swinging a weighted bat. I had the experience of showing them things that I thought, you know, everybody had seen that they hadn't ever seen, like Google Earth. Right. And they went crazy. All they wanted to do was see their houses in satellite view. <laughs> and we had to break it up. I but I also like that moment where you lose control of the room because they're all talking to each other. Right, right. Like you've got them so excited, they just forget and they're wound up. You, you got to let that happen. Yeah, you got to let that happen. You can't disturb it. Yeah. No, it's it's really powerful. So my like literally one of my favorite days of the year to do that. Very very cool. Awesome. Good on you. Well, let's roll the music for better know a framework. Excellent. <laughs> All 
right, dude, you've been on a roll with some very cool, you know, this is not exactly .NET Framework stuff, but cool stuff. What do you got today? Well, you're going to love this one. Svelte. Ooh. Have you heard of Svelte? Yes, it's a great description of what I'm not. <laughs> no, I, I say that out loud, that's not right. It's what programming used to be. No. no. It's a svelte.dev. It's a website, and it's a framework of sorts, but it's more like a transpiler. It's more like a new language that generates JavaScript and CSS. Oh. It's, it's HTML, but it sort of, like the name implies, takes a lot of cruft out. Hmm. And uh, it's interesting. You know, there's... There's a lot of this stuff out there, but this is a little bit different. So I would just, they, they have a REPL and, you know, you need Node.js, mm -hmm. but you can just go out to their REPL and start coding away. It's, it's pretty good. Of course, you're going to want to download some stuff uh, soon enough, but, you know, it has components and it has composability and it has, you know, dynamic data. Everything's reactive, you know. Interesting. It's pretty cool. Oh, another way to explore web dev. I love it. Yeah, the guys at uh, AppVNX were talking about it, and I thought I would let you all know about it. So, Svelte. Well, I appreciate that. That's cool. Svelte.dev. Nice. That's it. Who's talking to us today, man? Uh, grab a comment help the show. 1482 from October of 2017. We talked to one Dylan Beattie, and this was when we were at the Prognet conference in London. Right. Where we did all kinds of crazy things and grabbed a few in-person interviews. And this was one of them talking about open source development on the Microsoft stack, which, I mean, back in 2017, we we're still grappling with this idea of developing on .NET didn't mean developing for Windows. Right. And this comment comes from Nicholas Baring. This is a good year ago, so you know, a while back where he said, this one took me way down memory lane to my days in high school in 2002, which just made me feel really old. Oh, man. <laughs> that was at the very start of .NET Rocks. <laughs> when he was in high school, <laughs> I learned a little bit of C Sharp exactly as described with no Visual Studio, but via Notepad and invoking the compiler from command.exe, which we talked about that whole you know, before Studio was ready, when we were we were doing everything in Notepad. Yeah. But Nicholas goes on to say, it was brutal. It's one of those things that make me really appreciate the tools we have today. Simple things like line numbering, <laughs> which makes debugging so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> With the growing popularity of programming in general, whether as a hobby or an occupation, it has me discussing tooling with people that weren't working in the space when these tools just weren't as freely available as they are today. Some people take things like syntax highlighting for granted, and coming from that mindset, it can be blinding to the difference in productivity that the tools can create. Mm. So my must-have features today include syntax highlighting, bracket matching, goodness, line numbering, and of course, source integration, you know, show git branch at a minimum. Right. Tools matter. And knowing that tools even exist is half the battle. If someone had told me these features were available back then in Notepad++, it would have saved me hours of line <laughs> and column counting to the compiler error in the 750-line code file. Oh, man. Dude, 750 lines? And then he literally says, don't judge. I was in high school. <laughs> and now we have Control-ED. <laughs> 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 oh, and I was, sounds and like code lens showing us who l l implemented each line of code. You know, right? There's no Jeez. escape. You can't hide behind your code. 
Well, and I, I did do a quick check. Nicholas got a mug from us ages ago. So now, Nicholas, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Muse to Code Buy is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Muse to Code Buy, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on Facebook. We publish every show there. And if you comment on the show and we read it, we'll send you a copy of Muse to Code Buy. Yeah, definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet, but take the line numbers out first, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> It's 2019, people. Hey, before we get started, I want to give a shout out um, to to a very special someone. So, my doctor uh, mm -hmm. is in rural uh, Tennessee. Oh my! And uh, yeah, he's a he's actually a, a keto hip doctor. Ken Berry is his name. He he said that he was talking to his IT guy, uh, and he just happened to mention that you know. My friend Carl Franklin was here, stayed at my house. You know, we did a little interview or whatever. And he said, what? Carl Franklin was at your house? No way. <laughs> he flipped. And uh, <laughs> so just a shout out to Terry Cole. Hey, Terry. Yep, that was me. You go to Tennessee. Go to Tennessee. That's what happens. That's so funny. shout out to my doctor's IT guy who listens to the show. Cool. All right, now it's time to introduce our guest, Dylan Beatty. Dylan wrote his first web page in 1992 and never looked back. He's been building data-driven web apps since the late 90s and has worked on everything from tiny standalone websites to complex distributed systems. He's the CTO at Skills Matter in London. He's a Microsoft MVP and a regular speaker at conferences and user groups where he's spoken about topics from continuous delivery and Conway's law to the history of the web, federated authentication, and hypermedia APIs. When he's not wrangling code, Dylan plays guitar and writes songs about code and also comes up with crazy uh, languages, which we're going to talk about here. He's online at dylanbeatty.net. That's D-Y-L-A-N-B-E-A-T-T-I-E.net and on Twitter at Dylan Beatty. Welcome, man. Welcome back. Hey, good to be back. How are you doing? Doing good. Rock star. <laughs> Laughing about our good tooling. Speaking of good tooling, or is it better? Well, where do you begin? <laughs> well, I remember the story that you told began with um, recruiters and, you know, recruiter ads that were always advertising that they had rock star developers or wanted rock star developers. So that, that, yeah, that, that's probably a good place to start, actually, is this whole... Uh, so anyone who's worked in in IT, and this is it's very much a kind of English language thing, um, but, uh, you know, throughout the English-speaking world, they're just kind of this become this trope about this idea of rock star developers, which right. is, um, you know... And I can kind of relate. There is, uh, there is some code that I wrote in three days in 2002 that ran in production for 15 years with no bugs and no maintenance. And, you know, you think, I'm, I'm sure most developers have something, you know, something they've done in the course of their career where it just, you know, everything was perfect. It was that kind of perfect storm of productivity and tooling and requirements. And, you know, I, I, I understand where this idea of, you know, the, the thousand times developer, the kind of the, the person who's, well, no, the idea of an insane difference in the order of magnitude of productivity right, right. between a good <laughs> developer on a good day and everyone else all the time. Yeah. 
Um, you know, because, you know, I, I don't really agree with this, this whole thing about there are people who are always amazing and there are people who are always mediocre. And, you know, everybody we vary. Coding is, a, is this creative process. And there's days when you just do not get in the zone. And, you know, you sit and reply to email till it's time to go home. And then you come back the next day and you're like, oh, of course, I see the problem. And bang, you know, there it is. Uh, but, yeah, you know, there's this idea of, of the, the rock star developer. And there's right. that old, you, do you remember years ago, the, what was it, Mort Einstein and Elvis? Yes. Oh, yeah, this whole thing about yeah, the three different. I mean, the personas. Yeah, <laughs> it, you know, it was always vaguely repellent at the time, but today, especially, you're like, yeah, yeah, we really, really can't talk about people that way. That's not right. Yeah. Mort was sort of a pejorative for the nine to five developer who checked out, you know, promptly at five p.m. went home and didn't think yeah. about code for the rest of the night, and. Yeah. And then Elvis was the rock star developer that was always the hero at date, you know, the, at the eleventh hour, you know, checking in the yeah. code and making it all work. And yeah. what was the other one? Um, Einstein. 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 Yeah. Yeah. The brainiac. Um, yeah, and and you know, so you, you kind of had this this whole thing, and this got into recruitment. You know, I'm sure you see it if you go on LinkedIn right now or IT tech jobs or any of these, you just type in rock star. And you'll find these companies, you know, needed PHP Rockstar for major agency website thing. Right. And, you know, <laughs> and, and the, the whole thing is is complete crap. You know, it, it I <laughs> uh, have always found the use of this term to be one. It communicates a sort of a massive misunderstanding in this perpetuation of, of the idea that, you know, if you just you keep looking hard enough, there is some, you know, rockstar developer out there in quotes who will just come in and solve all your problems right sure and you know i i think it it perpetuates a lot of um you know negative management practices male bovine fecal matter <laughs> <laughs> something along those lines yes um and you know there's this thing uh, last year um paul stovell who's the guy who who uh, created octopus deploy right. which is you know the dotnet deployment system um who I was following on twitter and he just he put this tweet out this is in like july last year where he just said somebody should make a programming language called rockstar to confuse developers <laughs> and i just you know i sort of saw this and i i chuckled a bit and it sort of stuck with me and i thought you know, some, somebody's got to pick this up and do something with it. And nobody did. Because, you know, this is the, the, the internet. I know if you ever get that thing, I find this particularly on Reddit. You see a post and you think, ha ha, I got something. And you click in and, of course, someone's already thought of it. Right. This is the internet. It's it's however many, three, four billion people. Somebody has already thought of it. Whatever it of is course. you think of, someone probably got there first. Right. Um, and this one just, it didn't seem to have been done. Like, you know, <laughs> nobody had, had made a programming language and called it Rockstar. In other just, words, who would do that? Oh, <laughs> who, you, who would, be you would do that? Crazy would enough. Do that. <laughs> um, and, you know, like a lot of the, the best projects, this is one of those things that... Um, you know, if you, I, th I think Paul Graham wrote an essay about this years ago. He said, if you had any idea what you're getting into, you'd never start. You, right. you know, the, the most successful projects end up being so, you know, the, the scale of them ends up being so momentous that if you'd known at the beginning what you were going to be getting into, um, and, you know, the Rockstar programming language started out uh, a couple of weeks after this tweet. I was just, this idea kind of stuck with me. <laughs> and I was thinking, because um, I've always been interested in esoteric programming languages. Which uh, are? A, what's an esoteric? 
Oh, esoteric. Okay. I'm sorry. You said esoteric and I got caught up. Just continue. Don't mind uh, me. An, es an esoteric language is like an esoteric language. Uh, you know this whole thing about words you've only ever seen written down because right. you grew up surrounded by books? <laughs> yeah. And then you have the whole transatlantic thing going on as well. Esoteric, esoteric. Right. Let's call the whole thing off. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, esolangs, esolangs, whatever you want to, want to call them, which are, you know, programming languages that are kind of they impose constraints on a programmer that make it difficult to write code because mm. they adopt, you know, constraints from somewhere else. Um, and the one that I always loved, which is is ancient, it goes back to the early 2000s, was a guy called Damien Conway who wrote a Perl interpreter that let you program in Latin. And... And this wasn't, you know, there's a lot of esolangs out there which are like, haha, wouldn't it be funny if we could program a computer in lol code? Like, I'm in your main loop, lol, k thanks, bye. Um, and, uh, <laughs> what could go wrong? Yeah. Oh, this is real. Lol code exists. Lol so, code. Yeah. Um, the whole, you know, the I can has cheeseburger, the cat meme pictures. Uh. Um but, you know, a lot of these, they're just sort of like, okay, let's take some some fairly kind of rudimentary programming language constructs like a loop and stuff and just give them funny funny names and aliases. Right. Uh, but the thing I really liked about the um, this this uh, Perla lingua romana or whatever it was called was it actually said, well, in Perl we have hashes and we have list types and we have scalars. And then in Latin grammar, you have different kinds of plural forms and collective nouns and things. And it actually said, well, what if we could take the syntax of Latin and use that instead of all the weird punctuation? So the underlying data structures and programming model are the same as, you know, the thing that was familiar to Perl developers. But the language, like if you know how to read Latin, you can work out, well, that's clearly a collection and that's a, a single instance of something and this belongs to somebody. Mm. Um, and I thought that was quite a thought-provoking idea because, you know, it, it literally took a sort of a body of knowledge from both of these domains, from from uh, programming language design and the design of the Perl language and from Latin, and kind of combined them. Um, but yeah, there's this whole idea of uh, esoteric languages, which are programming languages that are, I don't know, is it art? Is it a joke? Is it a sort of technical <laughs> challenge? It's just one of those things. It's that, all of the above. You know, yeah, nerds look at and they're like, I wonder if I could do that. And you start playing around and, um, and you know, the, the, so the whole Rockstar thing, it started out as a parody specification. That was it. It's just, I, I put a, a repo up on, uh, GitHub and I wrote a readme file where I started just outlining. And what I wanted was a thing where the programs looked like the lyrics to rock songs and, and particular eighties rock songs, right? So the kind of, you know, the overblown uh, kind of adolescent poetic imagery of meatloaf <laughs> and Bonnie Taylor, you know, would you offer your throat to the wolf with the wet rose, the red roses, <laughs> like a bat out of hell, I'll be gone when the morning comes and... Um, <laughs> You know, because that's that's the kind of music I love. Those are the lyrics I can I can get up and do karaoke when I'm too drunk to talk and still get every word. Because <laughs> yeah. um, it almost doesn't matter what you say at that point. If midnight yeah. taking my <laughs> if midnight taking my world, fire is nothing. Shout fizz, take it to the top. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> So I started coming up with this. I thought, you know, what, what would be funny? What, which bits and pieces of, of rock and roll? And, you know, one of the, and 
it started drawing on some ideas. So uh, I saw a talk Douglas Crockford did about the, the post-JavaScript apocalypse, and he made some really interesting points about the way there are conventions in programming language design that we waste a lot of time arguing. And one of the things he says in his talk, he's like, you know, um, camel case versus Pascal case versus underscores versus hyphens versus, um, mm. you know, all this time, all these teams arguing about it. And he says, what we want is variables with spaces in them. Yeah. Really, that's it. We want a variable name that is more than one word. And so we've wasted years arguing over how to make it clear that these are two words that have been mashed together because the compiler can't cope with variables with spaces in them. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I sort of thought, well, that would be kind of funny if Rockstar could have, uh, you know, variables with with multiple words in them. Right. Um, and so I started thinking, well, you got these these names, you know, real people's names, Billie Jean and, uh, you know, <laughs> Black Betty and Dr. Feelgood and all these names from classic <laughs> rock and roll songs. Right. I thought, well, what, what if the variables are people, you know, like Tommy and Gina in, in Living on a Prayer and stuff? Yeah, and Tommy. So I, I came up with this idea of two kinds of variable. Proper variables are all names, people's names. And then common variables is anything that starts with the or my or your or a. So you can have a, a variable is like, you know, a kiss or the night or something. Hmm. And it's amazing how suddenly, you know, that plus a little bit of syntax, you start writing statements that look like English language and statements as well as being valid programming statements. Bad lyrics um, is what they look like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the yeah. wolf and, desire. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, you start playing around with this and you think we've well, got all these, because uh, I didn't want any you know, punctuation in this. I didn't want brackets. I didn't want braces. I didn't want plus signs, minus signs, because people don't sing those. You do not get these kind of, you know, syntax in in lyrics, rock and roll lyrics. Right. Um, and so I started thinking, well, what do they stand for? And coming up with English equivalents. So, you know, if 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 my heart is as high as the ocean is a <laughs> is a numeric comparison <laughs> expression. Um, you know. That's so awesome. <laughs> if if your love is as deep as a river and, and these kinds of things and then you know and once you start thinking about that i started thinking about you know arithmetic operators so you are a plus b i'm like and so the way i did it was for each of these operators there is a keyword so the word plus so you can yeah. say um you know the price plus the tax yeah. as five words and that's valid but it's not very rock and roll so you use with instead so you can say like you know my dreams with your love and that's a arithmetic that's an addition expression um and of course then well, you've got what? my dreams with your love but my dreams without regret and something so you got with without um you've got uh over off, right while so. tommy is over the moon yeah um uh you know of and over and uh by and, and all these kinds of keywords and it sort of started coming together. And I'm just throwing, I, you know, I got this spec. I think I actually wrote it sitting in a bar with a beer. And I was like, this is fun. I'm going to have another beer and see where it goes. So the, the spec <laughs> gets a little more creative as it, as it goes on. Um, and I kind of, I kicked this around to the point where I thought it was possible to write FizzBuzz in it. And, you know, I was cribbing ideas from, so I, I used to do a lot of Perl development and Perl is a weird language for syntax. It's got a lot of mm. interesting ideas. And one of the things I nicked out of Perl, in Perl, the dollar underscore is a variable that means whatever you were just looking at. 
it's kind of metasyntactic, you know. Um, it's exactly like in, in English, you say it or this, you know. Um, and so I thought, all right, well, we'll have it and he and she and we'll pull these kinds of things in and, and him and her. And we'll, those have the same syntactic behavior as the, the dollar underscore does in Perl. It's whatever I, it's actually whatever I modified last. Right, right. So um, you can uh, you can increment a variable, uh, you know, put something into the wall, build it up, build it up, build it up is how you do repeated increments. And then someone <laughs> suggested that we're getting ahead of ourselves, but someone suggested build it up, up, up. I'm like, all right, I kind of like that. That works as a lyric. Um, build it up, 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 knock it down, 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 take it to the top. That's an increment, a decrement, and then a, a loop on a, um, you know, a, a, a continue on a loop statement. Right. It's a go-to. So, <laughs> yeah, effectively. It's, it's a labeled go-to, you know. Um, so I, I got the spec together, and I got it to the point where you could do fizzbuzz with it, and I wrote this little fizzbuzz thing. I stuck it on GitHub, and I you know, I thought this is maybe going to be funny for a day. You know, like most things that happen on the internet, it'll, a bunch of people will maybe retweet it. It'll maybe make, you know, Reddit or Hacker News, and then that's it. It's finished. Um, and I put it out, and it got a, you know, good following on, on, on Twitter and it made mm -hmm. Hacker News and it made Reddit and mm -hmm. people liked it, you know, sort of complimentary. Now, getting complimentary comments on Hacker News and Reddit is quite an achievement if you've ever spent any time on these particular discussion platforms that we've created for ourselves. Um, and then people started filing pull requests hmm. for this joke specification that I'd written in a bar mm -hmm. saying, I think this is actually, this contradicts this, which one is right. I'm like, I don't know. I <laughs> Why are you writing code? <laughs> yeah. Um and uh, it took, so I think within three days, there were like 50 open issues on GitHub oh, with man. people going, uh, what does this do? What does this do? And can it have support for this? And, and you know, pull requests and submissions for changes. Um, and then somebody implemented it. And uh, they built a Rockstar to Python transpiler. Nice. And I uh -oh. just looked at this and I thought, this is not doing what this is not going the way I expected this to go. Um, yeah, this is now out of control. Yeah, well, it, it you know, it, there was never any control to start with. This is one of the things. I was like, it's, it's, you know, let's release it onto the you internet. You can't lose control if you it, never had control in the first place. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you put stuff online, you put it on a permissive license, and you're like, well, you know, everybody owns it now. Um, and it, it just started doing the rounds. And people kept submitting these ideas. Somebody implemented a... Um, about two thirds of a reference implementation of it in in Python. There was a Java one. Uh, somebody they built a um, interpreter in Rust, which they mm. called Maiden, because there's this thing <laughs> just spontaneously started happening early on that everyone named their projects after rock bands who had some kind of linguistic connection to the language they were using. Right. So the the Ruby implementation is called Kaiser because uh, <laughs> Ruby Ruby, the song by the Kaiser Chiefs. And uh, right. Iron Maiden, Iron Rust. So Maiden became the Rust implementation, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> which was done by a, by a, a friend of mine who I, I know I used to work with here in London, a guy called Tom Parker. Um, and he put that in. And then someone found out that there was a Rust to WebAssembly uh, compiler. Oh my! And so suddenly you could run Rockstar in a web browser. And you could actually <laughs> go on and, and try it. And, you know, people started playing around with it. And at this point, I started was amazed at how many people were sort of persisting with this and coming back and literally filing, you know, issues and questions. Like I'm trying to do this thing and I don't know how to do it. What would you suggest? Right. And I was like, I, I don't know. Um, I, I 
really, you know, this thing has got way, way bigger than, than I expected it was going to. Uh, and the thing that really blew my mind was after about two weeks, so it made, you know, Hacker News and Reddit, and there was an article in a, you know, Boing Boing, Cory Doctorow's yep. um, online thing. Mm -hmm. So it got a write-up in there. Um, and then I got an email out of the blue from a journalist who works for Classic Rock magazine here in the UK. <laughs> um, and Classic Rock is a real magazine. It's not a... Like, I know, you know I know. It's just kind of... It's an actual magazine. It's kind of funny. Does, I mean, you're a you're a musician and a singer, and you play these kinds of songs. Yeah. So it kind of and makes I, sense that you'd get hit up by a magazine. And I was like, you know, I, I'd always imagined one day I might get a, you know, an interview with Classic Rock magazine, but I never thought it would be for computer programming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever put any of uh, your? Have you ever recited or sung any of your programs? to music really uh, well we'll get to that part in a minute because oh this my. is all part of what is becoming the the long and rambling narrative of of rockstar um so you know it got this kind of buzz for about a month and there was this classic rock magazine article it's great they kind of said okay imagine we know nothing about computers explain what rockstar is i'm like how do you explain a parody esoteric computer programming language um <laughs> to non-programmers do you guys know the band steel panther no. So Steel Panther is a parody glam rock band that kind of, it, it started as a joke, um, you know, parodying Van Halen and uh, Motley Crue and Poison and all those bands from the 80s with the spandex and the lip gloss and the hairspray. And the giant and, hair, know, yeah. Ridiculous, ridiculous lyrics. Yeah. Um, and Steel Panther literally started out as a pure parody of that. And has sort of become uh, like they sell out stadiums now and no one in the audience. I've seen them here in London at Wembley and no one in the audience is quite sure whether they are there as a joke or not. Like it, it's got to a point where they've done enough real songs and, you know, they are really talented musicians, but their lyrics are clearly ridiculous, intentionally ridiculous. Well, people, you know, it begs the question that, you know, rock and roll itself is kind of self-parodying if you take it the right way, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look at Spinal Tap, you know. Right. Um, Spinal Tap was a, a parody movie in which they cast, so that I was reading about this recently, Spinal Tap, that movie, was almost entirely improvised by the cast, who also wrote the songs and played the instruments and then went on a real stadium tour as their characters from the movies right. playing real shows to real audiences. At which point you're like, this is not a comedy film anymore, but it's also clearly. Yeah. What's real and what is it at this point? Yeah. When you hear them do interviews. Um, I just heard Harry Shearer do an interview in character on NPR. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, in a way, I kind of love that because it's this whole sort yeah. of blurring of boundaries it, it takes away a lot of the, the indecision about, oh, should I be doing this or not? Is this because is it like, well, well who knows anymore? Um, and so, yeah, I, I sort of said to the guys, look, trying to explain Rockstar to someone who's not a programmer is like trying to explain why Steel Panther is a joke to someone who's never heard of Motley Crue. Right. It's like from from the outside, they kind of look the same. But then once you start appreciating the, the, the nuance, you'd be like, all right, I sort of understand now why this is different and what makes it interesting and why it's getting. But that's this, a great explanation to to a, um, a metal magazine like that. Well, you know, it's like if, if you can grasp what Steel Panther is about, then you understand why are the programmers reaction to Rockstar. Hmm. Exactly. It's really quite a good explanation outside of software. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, metaphors are the only thing we got because the stuff that we make in software is all invisible. It's all in yeah. our heads. Yep. Doesn't matter how well you organize the electrons, it's still tough to see them. And guys, hold that thought while we take this moment for a very important message. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our patrons, like Stefan Hoffman. Thanks, Stefan, for helping to keep .NET Rocks coming every week. And we need your support as well. If you feel .NET Rocks has helped your career and you'd like to keep us on the air, please make a donation at patreon.netrocks.com. And thanks. All right, and we're back. Dylan Beatty's here with us. I'm Carl Frankel, and that's Richard Campbell, and we're talking about his language that started as a joke, and you can actually write code with it now. It's called Rockstar. It's on GitHub. And uh, you were talking about um, the how do you explain a language to a, a rock musician through you know through that thing when people don't even know what programming is. Yeah. No. Um, and it, you know, it's the so the interest. How do you explain a an esoteric language, a parody language, to someone who doesn't know what a real one? A real is? one is, yeah. Um, and you know, this is where we resort to the power of metaphor, and we try and say, well, over here you got you, this thing, and so over here we got this thing, and it's the same idea, just in a different different domain. Right. Um, and then the, the thing that kind of gave it a, a new lease of life was it sort of went quiet, and we started working on uh, you know some ideas for a. Um, an implementation of it and things. But um, on uh, New Year's Day, January 1st this year, we made, uh, Rockstar made the front page of Reddit with like 25,000 upvotes. Wow. And there was just, it just kicked the whole thing over again. Like a whole <laughs> new wave of people who didn't see it the first time around. Well, like, this is the coolest thing ever. And of course, this kicks off another wave of people on GitHub going, I'm trying to write some Rockstar and I don't know what, what should happen here. Right. Um, and I thought, you know, how hard would it be to actually turn this into something with a, a formal reference implementation and a test suite? Mm. So one, we can say, this is how it works. Try out your code here. If your code works, it's good. And if it doesn't work, then there may be a problem. But also, you know, I had all these, these people working on different implementations going, uh, what's happening with the specification? What's going to be in the next release? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, I, I, mm. I'm now the project manager of a joke and I hadn't realized that, that this was a position that you could achieve in life. Yeah. But there we go. Um, and so, you know, January this year, I thought, actually, I want to know how to do this stuff. Cause I, I built compilers back in university, you know, like little toy examples and things. I never built anything real. So I spent, uh, the, the Christmas holidays this year, the winter holidays, basically learning how to write, uh, parsers. Mm. Um, using a thing called a parsing expression grammar, which is a very powerful pattern that basically allows you to say, well, if you see one of these symbols, then emit this output. And the way that I approach this, so the, the, the one that I built first, I'm working on a .NET one at the moment because some folks in Russia want me to go and tell them how I did it. But the first mm -hmm. one I built was in JavaScript. Um, I called it Satriani because JS is JavaScript, but also Joe Satriani in, in the <laughs> Love field it. of rock and roll. He's an incredible guitar player. Uh, he's, he's phenomenal. He's yeah. well, you know, one of my all-time great inspirations. And so, so, you know. Melodic. I saw him live. Uh, I've seen him live several times. But I love the way he comes up to the mic and I'd be like, this song is about getting in a big old 1950s Thunderbird with the top down and driving off into the desert. And then, of course, the songs are instrumental because right. he doesn't sing. Right. And you're like, so this guitar melody is about driving a Thunderbird through the desert. All right, I can I can get with this. Um, and it's, So it's really Satriani is the JavaScript interpreter, but it's not a transpiler, yeah. right? It's an interpreter? 
or is it so it's a what it is is it's a it's a two-pass um interpreter it is a a parser which takes your rockstar program and Mm -hmm. emits it as an abstract syntax tree which is a json document okay so a lot of things in uh rockstar there are lots of different ways to do the same thing yeah. Because that allows you to be more expressive if you're trying to right. you know, come it's up with something. It's about the lyrics, lyric. man. Yeah, it's yeah. A, that's right. It's about how how can we get this '80s bad song to compile? Exactly that. That that is it in a nutshell. Um, and so the the abstract syntax, the the parser, basically takes your Rockstar program and it turns it into an AST. And all the different programs will you know, different dialects or different uh, variations of the same code will yield the same syntax tree. Mm. And then you feed that syntax tree into the interpreter, which is a thing called a metacircular evaluator, which I learned in in university many years ago and never thought I'd be writing one in JavaScript. Um, And what that does (laughs) is it uses, uh, basically loops through the, the set of instructions and runs the program and creates the output. Hmm. Um, and the reason why I, I built it that way, one is being able to visualize the syntax tree is a really useful way of seeing where, because you've got to remember when you're, you're building a language, you're debugging three things at once. You're debugging the source code in the language that you've invented. You're debugging the parser, which is turning your source code into something executable. Mm. And you're debugging the execution that, you know, so when something doesn't work, you're like, is that a bug in my Rockstar code or is it a bug in the parser or is the code parsing correctly, but then the interpreter is choking on it? So you have syntax highlighting for Visual Studio Code, right? Yeah, that was one of the first things that was contributed. Um, so we got a, a syntax highlighter for VS Code and another one for Atom. Those are both out there. Mm. Um, and so that that helps with, you know, getting the, the structure and the syntax right. Right. Um, but then when it comes to developing the interpreter, so that's why I went with this idea of having the abstract syntax tree as an explicit step. So you can put your code in and see what the parser thinks it means. Right. And then you feed that into the interpreter and it says this is the output. And, you know, one of the the fun things about it is I also wanted to be able to, I wanted a set of tests for it that were completely language agnostic. Okay. So um, I wanted to, you know, be able to say to anybody who has a a Rockstar interpreter or a compiler, all right, if your program takes these inputs and produces these outputs, then it is compliant with the specification. This is the kind of, you know, the the gold standard that we use to determine whether something's working or not. Um, And so the the approach that I came up with, along with a couple of the other devs on the the GitHub thing, uh, we have, uh, so .rock files are the programs themselves. Right. And then you have .rock in and .rock out. (laughs) Yeah, rock in is the input (laughs) and rock out is the output. Uh, this tickles my brain on so many levels i just can't tell you how awesome this uh, is man literally the 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 references just kind of write themselves (laughs) rock and roll music is such a a rich rich seam of jargon that has never been applied in a program (laughs) these parts of my Um, brain don't talk together normally (laughs) and, and now you've connected them I, I think I think I tangled mine a long time ago, and they will never <laughs> untangle again. Um, but so yeah, and, and you know this this led to some really interesting stuff because it meant that the to be able to run the same interpreter. So I wanted to be able to run it natively on the web, mm. and I wanted to be able to run it on a console using Node, and I wanted to be able to run it from Mocha, which is the uh, unit test framework for Node.js. Yeah. So the metacircular evaluator component there is. Um, 
it uses a continuation passing architecture, which is an idea that comes out of Lisp and Scheme, where basically when you do a function call, you capture the environment, which has all of your variables in it, their names and their current values. Um, and if you've ever kind of got your noodle baked trying to work out why variables in JavaScript sometimes overwrite one another and sometimes don't, mm. it's because JavaScript effectively, when you go into a function call, it puts a new global scope on top of the one you had already. Oh. And each one of those is, a, is effectively an environment. It's like a, a set of stack frames. And then when you exit the function, that environment is discarded, and anything that's not an explicit return is discarded along with it. You know, that explains a whole lot of memory leaks that I have in my JavaScript programs. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah is- <laughs> I was wondering what that was all about. <laughs> It's one of the, the weird quirks of JavaScript that, um, you know, it, it borrowed from Lisp or, or from Scheme, actually, this whole idea of, of continuation passing. And uh, it's why they had to introduce constant let in ECMAScript 6, because var didn't really do anything in terms of managing the visibility and scope of a variable. It just said, it's a variable. And later on, you could look and see if it was still there. And if it was, maybe it was the same or maybe it wasn't. Um, and, it, you know, it's interesting watching the way the JavaScript community has kind of identified patterns and promoted things like everything is always a function call that you then invoke against itself because this manages your scope. Um, so anyway, that, so yeah, the, the Rockstar Interpreter is a set of environments where each environment, you call a function, we put a new environment on top of the old one, run your function, and then return. And the I.O. is pluggable. So the environment, you tell it what is standard in and what is standard out. And one of the things that proved surprisingly difficult is how do you read from the keyboard, the console, in Node.js? Because Node.js is an asynchronous I.O. system. There's no notion of read standard in and wait until you get something. Because it's the whole you know ecosystem is engineered from the ground up that you never, ever wait for input. You just say, all right, well, when you get some input, run this. But in the meantime, here's a bunch of other stuff you can be going on with. Um, so that was quite entertaining. Um, and I, I found a, a Node package out there, an NPM package, which basically sits in a loop waiting for you to type something and, and press enter, and then it'll continue from, from that point. Now, but, I, I want to know how you deal with um, functional languages. Like there, I look on the list here of implementations, and I counted 11, either transpilers or interpreters, and a couple of them are functional languages. So like Haskell, OCaml? I don't know. <laughs> that That is very much like when I have some time, I may dig into it. But I have not yet had a chance to really kind of dig deep into the different implementations, yeah. mainly because I'm not familiar with the languages they're written in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I found this comment on Reddit <laughs> about it, where it actually is a section. I don't quite know where this was written originally, but it's about pronouns. It says the keywords, oh, yeah. he, she, him, her, they, them, they, here, ze, zir, she, shem, ve, and ver, <laughs> refer to the last named variable determined by parsing order. And then in parenthet- parenthetically says, please don't file issues pointing out that the 80s rockers were a bunch of misogynic and gendering and that gender inclusive pronouns aren't really idiomatic. You're right. We know. And we've learned a lot since then. <laughs> Besides, look what the cat dragged in was recorded by three she had guys who spent more money on lip gloss and hairspray than they did on studio time. And it's an absolute classic. Yeah. Absolutely. And the top this comment a- on that is it- literally inclusive or inclusive or <laughs> <laughs> so that that was actually that was a pull request that came in against the the first draft of the spec no um, kidding and someone just said i want to add all these additional pronouns and i sort of thought well on the one hand cool great i have no problem with that on the other hand like 
they don't I couldn't think of any kind of idiomatic example of yeah. uh, you know these these gender inclusive pronouns being used in a classic rock song from the 1980s um, and then I thought you know how many people out there the first time they ever saw a straight guy with long hair wearing lip gloss was on MTV in the 1980s um, you know and it's 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 a bit of a flimsy argument but there is an argument to be made that 80s glam rock and metal was actually a you know part of a, a bigger process of, of getting people to reconsider some of the, the gender and sexuality stereotypes. Absolutely. I'm reading the uh, Classic Rock interview with you, the Classic Rock magazine, and one of the questions for you was, does Rockstar have any real benefits as a programming language? Now, rem- let me read Dylan's response. No. Programming in Rockstar is like building a matchstick model of Tower Bridge or riding across Canada on a unicycle. <laughs> you're not doing it to actually solve a problem. You're doing it for fun to see what you can achieve with a set of artificial constraints. In other words, will it compile? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I I do appreciate the idea of this issue around recruiters because I also see the mention at the end of the GitHub project about the language enterprise to mm. mess up with the enterprise developers too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Enterprise is cool, actually. It's linked from the Rockstar repo, and, and, and you should check it out. It's it's quite fun what they've done. Uh, enterprise is the language where your code won't compile unless it has the right amount of copyright boilerplate at the beginning. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I, um, I, have you ever so, had a recruiter respond to anything around this stuff? Not yet. As if it was... But I'm, yeah. So it, it's... It's so slowly still gaining traction. So what I did in January, I, I decided we did NDC here in, in London in January. And the NDC party is always a lot of fun. We were there. Uh, yep. You know, good crowd, good bunch of people. And I, I thought it would be fun. You know, Rockstar's kind of, it's some technical content. It's funny. I thought it would be a good a good opportunity to use that party to launch 1.0, uh, which meant we actually needed something to launch. And I, I'm saying we a lot here. My girlfriend hates it when I do that. It's the editorial we. Um, this is is basically me and uh, you know other people kind of doing their own thing. Because the thing with a, a project like this is I don't feel like I can tell other people do this because this is what I think needs to happen. I'm like, you do what you think needs to happen and you you enjoy yourselves and, you know, we'll all get together and laugh about it. But really, you know, fundamentally, this is a... a, a it's a joke and it's not a joke that should end up on anyone's to-do list uh, except mine. <laughs> right, it's my right. joke, you know. Um, and I thought, you know, okay, so to launch it, what I really wanted is somewhere, you know, a properly well-supported I- implementation in JavaScript. This is, this is why I built Satriani, where people can see how it got built. So if you're interested in how esoteric languages work, you can actually get the source code and play with the, the interpreter and the parser. Um, and you can run it in a browser because that's the biggest thing. You know, if anyone has got to download anything or install anything, you know, we, we live in a world where, oh, NPM install this and NuGet install that looks easy. And most people are like NP what? Um, I thought, let's actually put it out there on a, in a browser. So I, I set up this uh, codewithrockstar.com is the, the official Rockstar website. 
mm-hmm, right? Where I mm-hmm. put together the the documentation, the language spec, did some pretty interesting things. So the website's open source as well. Uh, it's all in the, the Rockstar Lang uh, organization on GitHub. Um, and I actually, I, what I ended up doing was using the a Git submodule to include the main project repo inside the website as a subfolder because all the specifications are in Markdown and then using Jekyll and GitHub pages to parse the Markdown into HTML and publish it so we don't end up running two different versions of the same spec files and stuff, mm-hmm. which took a little bit of fiddling, but I'm really quite pleased with, with how it all worked and stuff. Really, really nice authoring model. Um, so yeah, NDC, we, uh, you know, had the, the, I stood up and did a sort of half an hour at the, the party and officially launched, uh, Rockstar 1.0 and the certified Rockstar developer program, <laughs> which is. <laughs> Now this is this is real. Oh you, man! You come up, come up, and find me at a conference and show me on your phone that you've written Rockstar, and I'll give you a sticker. And I, I have certified <laughs> Rockstar developer stickers, um, which are you know that I, I carry around a bag of these things now whenever I go to events and talk about Rockstar, and people come up and you know what I'm. I'm uh, there's two things that I want to get out of this. Um, you know, one of them is I just want people on LinkedIn endorsing one another as rockstar developers. Absolutely. So all the recruiters stop because it is stupid and it doesn't get anybody anything. It is undignified and it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I just the, the, I want every recruiter to know that if they use the word rockstar, they're just going to get inundated by people like us going, I'm certified rockstar <laughs> developer. Look at my sticker. Give me a job. <laughs> so that's got to be and part you know, of the commitment, right? Is that you bombard your recruiters with rockstar yeah. certifications yep and why not you know it might why happen. not um and then when we're finished with that we can move on to ninja and wizard and you know all this other kind of stuff yeah I'm no i've seen the help. list of terms we need to turn make into development languages just to to puncture this whole process <laughs> well before we go can you recite a rockstar app for us uh so let me hang on so so the the last thing that i want to get out of this all right is i'm interested in whether it is possible to create an album of songs that are so convincingly lyrical that somebody who doesn't know the joke doesn't realize anything's going on. <laughs> that that is, is what I'd love to do. And, um, and it's kind of like getting those something. magazines, you know, that had source code in them <laughs> back in the 80s that you'd actually sit and type yep. them in. I wonder if somebody's going to listen to that and, and just type in the rock star and see what actually compiles. Uh, let me just bring up, because one of the, the frustrations that I had with 1.0 is that to make fizz buzz, you have to use the word fizz and the right. word buzz as literal right. strings, yeah, yeah. which, uh, you know, I, I, it kind of gives the game away a little bit, because halfway through yeah. this thing about midnight taking fire and desire, you shout fizz, and everyone's like, well, why did he shout fizz? Right. What's that got to do with rock and roll? Um, <laughs> nah. And so I started thinking if I could add arrays to the language in such a way that you could, instead of having to type fizz as a string literal, you could inject the Unicode values of the letters into an array one by one and then coerce that into being a list. Mm. And, you know, the classic array, the minimal feature set you need to work with arrays in a list-based language is push and pop. And uh, we don't like pop, we like rock. So uh, this is, instead of push and pop, it's rock and roll. That's great. <laughs> push and pop become rock and roll? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> So, uh, to, uh, <laughs> so this is this is how you initialize two string variables with fizz and buzz. Um, 
So we've got a, there's a function here called the Reaper. And the Reaper is a function that uh, basically takes an array of um, numbers, turns each one into the string, the character represented by that Unicode value and returns the resulting string. And that's the Reaper takes the fallen. Salvation is silence. Until the fallen are nothing, roll them into violence. Cast violence into the dark. Let salvation be with the dark. Give back salvation. <laughs> so that, that, that's basically string.join is what we've got there. And it's, oh this, my is, God. this is the fun part. My dreams are diamond nightmares. My suffering is the sea. My screams are hollow hatred. Your love is meaningless to me. <laughs> Rock my dreams like a razor blade smile. Rock my dreams with your love, your love. Rock my dreams like a switchblade missile. Rock my screams with your love, your love. Let salvation be the reaper taking my dreams. Let surrender be the reaper taking my screams. <laughs> and we now have the word fizz in the variable salvation, and we have the word buzz in the variable surrender. And now we can get on and do our fizz buzz stuff. But this time, instead of um, if midnight taken my wildfire is nothing, shout fizz. It's shout surrender with my suffering, because my suffering is the exclamation mark character there. Um, and you can see how once you get going with this stuff, it's just this sort of wonderful combination of kind of nerdy programming challenges and lyrical songwriting challenges. And I just, like you know, to write something that rhymes, has the same meter and compiles and runs. Yeah. It's just brilliant. It's magic. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, now I need to work out what to do with it. But and I actually I, I did. Uh, so the first version of Fizzbuzz is actually set to music. There is a, a musical <laughs> arrangement of it, which has yet to be mastered and released, but it will be soon. Oh, well, as soon as I find a free weekend. When we have that, we'll just add it to the show notes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. So, and the, the fun part with that, I saw a Lynn Langett did a keynote at Build Stuff in Vilnius last year where she was talking about Fizzbuzz and 50 different approaches to Fizzbuzz. And mm. one of them was musical Fizzbuzz, where it's like, you know, one, two, fizz, four, buzz, fizz, ding, 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 ding. And so I, I literally took the, the numeric pattern of Fizzbuzz and turned that into the main riff that's yeah. used in this, in this composition. Right. Um, and uh, that, that, I've, I've done that on stage a couple of times, but never <laughs> competently enough to get a usable recording out of it. Yeah. But, you know, it's the, the whole thing. Every time you do it, it gets a little better. And one day you're like, all right, this is now finished. It's good enough. Let's record it and put it out there. So, so yeah, wow. I have I, what I'd love to do is is get it to a point where we can do a, a rock star programming competition. And then we'll take the 10 best programs and we'll go into the studio with a band. We'll turn them into songs. We'll put out the album and then we can have Rockstar Fest and we'll literally get a live band to play the 10 best Rockstar programs in front of an audience at the after party of like a, I don't know, some kind of one day event all about music and creative coding and chip tune, all this kind of stuff. You know, the, nice. the, the, the possibilities are limitless. Yes, they are. There are only so many hours in the day. Yep. Dylan, I can't tell you how much this tickled me. Thank you so much for very <laughs> You're funny. very welcome. Thank you so much for, for having me on the show. Uh, I, I'm going to hit you up. When we get the songs and we need a couple of guest musicians, you gentlemen are in my little black book. Right. Well, you know, and if you're ever in the States, in the Northeast, I have a studio. We can actually do it up. That might well work. All right. Thanks again, Dylan. And we'll see you next time on .NET. What is this show again? 
I don't know. <laughs> Dotnet rocks. Rock star rocks. <laughs> .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter van.